This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the very niche and kind of geeky details of modern warfare with me, Jake Hanrahan. Today we're speaking for the second time to Giancarlo Fiorella. He's going to tell us about the chaos currently going on in Venezuela and hopefully give us a nuanced look of what's happening on the ground rather than people screaming their politics on Twitter, which seems to be going on quite a lot at the minute when it comes to the coverage. Now, many, many people have been out on the streets saying they want Maduro to go. There have been clashes, paramilitaries have killed people. And there is also a lot of talk that the US is meddling, trying to orchestrate a coup because there's now this opposition leader saying he is the rightful president and there are dozens of countries backing him. The whole situation is very fragile. There have been troops sent to the border. Maduro has said he's going to protect the whole country, every single corner militarily. So it's not looking good right now for Venezuela. So yeah, Giancarlo is going to be explaining all of this for us. He's been covering the area meticulously for a very long time now. He's doing a PhD in criminology at the University of Toronto and is currently an investigator and trainer for Latin America for Bellingcat, which will allow idiots to call him some kind of uh, CIA agent or something, but you know, idiots are idiots. To support Popular Front, please go to patreon.com slash popular front. Every little bit helps. Even if you just want to sign up for the dollar, it's going to make a big difference in the long run. So I don't even know where to begin with this Venezuela situation, to be honest. I think maybe if you just explain to us why on the 23rd did everybody come out into the streets again, because there were protests throughout 2017. I believe there have been on and off protests since 2014. But then, you know, everything kind of went quiet for a while. And now we're seeing some very big movement in Venezuela right now. Yeah, so the, the protest for the 23rd had been planned a couple of weeks in advance. Uh, it had been announced by the opposition. Uh, January 23rd is, a, is an important date in Venezuelan history because it's, it's when we kicked out a, a dictator that we had back in 1958. So um, this year we have a new National Assembly. Every year there's a new National Assembly president, right? So this year we, they uh, selected Juan Guaido. So there was a lot of expectation about what he might do, how he might want to, start to tackle the, the Maduro regime. Um, and so that coincided with Maduro's um, uh, taking of uh, him um, being sworn in to be president for the next term, because you might remember that there was a presidential election last year that Maduro stole. So starting in early January, Maduro is sworn in. He's the president until 2025. Everyone's really upset. And the opposition says, let's have this big protest on the 23rd. Um, so we can, um, you know, sort of maybe get organized again and see if we can if we can do something about Maduro. And uh, I personally was really surprised by what happened that day. I don't know other sort of political commentators or people who watch this more closely, but um, I was to- totally blown away when uh, Guaido declared himself interim president. Well, let's let's backtrack a little bit then. When you say uh, Maduro stole the election in 2018, what do you mean he stole it? What did he do? In Venezuela, the institution that organizes and holds elections is completely under the control of the government. It's called, in Spanish, it's called the CNE, the CNE. And for years and years now, they've done every, you know, they've pulled every trick in the book to um, uh, make sure that the the government wins all the votes, right? Uh, Most strikingly, I think, is what they did uh, for the constituent assembly vote 
uh, sorry, the constituent, uh, yeah, the constituent assembly vote, which was in 2017. And that's when, um, I think really for the first time in all of the years that we've had the CNE operating in this way, they just straight up made up the results of the election. I think I might have mentioned it when we last spoke. The voting, the company that provides the voting machines to Venezuelan elections came out after that vote and they said, the results that were announced by the CNE are not the ones that we recorded in our machines. So, you know, like no question asked, the CNE just made up the, the result of the election. So starting at that point, people really lose whatever little hope they had left on the CNE. So leading up to the May 20 election, the CNE outlawed some opposition parties. Um, they had been individually uh, outlawing certain people from running. So there was a bunch of opposition candidates who, you know, including probably who was the front runner at the time, his name was Enrique Capriles, who were just banned from, from running for office. So uh, the CNE was both selectively um, banning people from running for office as well as entire political parties. So come May 20, People are really, you know, people people are, are, I think, recognizing that this is this election has been set up to be won by Maduro, um, you know, before the first ballot was even cast. Right. So it's a complete uh, mockery of so-called democracy. It's not like, oh well, this guy has been put in by the Americans or whatever. Like this was before that, right? This was basically this guy won by popular vote and Maduro just rigged it. Is that what you're saying? The May 20 election was rigged, yeah. Um, and you're referring to Guaido now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, his, he was elected in the 2015 um, parliamentary election. So he was chosen for one of the states in Venezuela as basically like a senator, I guess, uh, in the United States um, to serve on the national legislature. So he's been around since 2015. And um, one of the things that the government did was when it lost the National Assembly in that election, the National Assembly went, went from being controlled by the, the PSUV, the ruling party, to being controlled by the opposition. Um, the Supreme Court, which is also um, made up entirely of Maduro loyalists, began um, striking down everything that the National Assembly did. So for years, the National Assembly has really been dead in the water. They, they're, you know, they'll try to pass laws, so they'll try to do anything, and the, and, and the Supreme Court and the government will say, well, we're just going to ignore what you're doing. Um, but at least, you know, Guaido has that claim of to legitimacy. You know, the government didn't dispute the results of the 2015 election. Um, you know, he, he won, as far as we can tell, you know, totally fair and square. And it just so happens that this year he was elected by the assembly to be uh, the president of the entire legislature. Right. So so let's get this straight. So the election was rigged um, and he has been basically put in charge of representing the opposition now that things are starting to move again. Is that right? Yeah. Every year the National Assembly elects a new president. So it just so happens that this year it's him. Uh, I've seen some commentators from outside of Venezuela who are like, whoa, like, who is this Guaido guy? We've never heard of him. Like, he must be some, like, suit put in by the CIA or, like, some, like, robot that got activated by John Bolton overnight to, like, you know, take over the country for the United States. But he's been around forever. Um, He was one of the leaders of a really influential student movement in 2007. Uh, he was one of the founding members of the Voluntad Popular Party in 2009. Um, and like I said, he's been representing his state since 2015. He's been around for, he, he's been in politics for a while. Well, yeah, this is the problem when you have these, uh, you know, usually white Western communists telling Venezuelans what to feel and, you know, what's going on. But we'll talk about that in a bit. But let, let's talk about um, January 23rd. So now we've got that out of the way. What happened on January 23rd? You said that you were shocked 
you know, why was that? Right. So on the 23rd, um, Guaido was speaking at a crowd to a crowd in Caracas, and he declared himself interim president. So that was a really big move. People had been expecting him to do something like that, or, or I think they were wanting him to do something like that, starting in early January. Because in early January is when the National Assembly began to meet for this year. So, uh, you know, dates and, and timing is important. The National Assembly begins to meet in January. They're supposed to swear in Maduro as president on the 10th, I believe. Uh, a couple of days before, the National Assembly says, we're not going to swear in Maduro. He's not the president. He stole the election. We're not going to you know, validate his stealing the election by swearing him in. So Maduro says, well, you know, I don't need the National Assembly. I'll just get sworn in by my friends in the Supreme Court. So Maduro gets sworn in to the Supreme Court, I think, on the 10th. Um, and then everybody looks to the opposition because now the ball's in their court. And one of the things that they could have done was invoke um, one of the articles of the Constitution. It's Article 233 that says, you know, if the presidency is vacant and it lists a bunch of reasons why the presidency might be vacant, like if the president is sick or if he like abandons the country or if he steals an election and declares himself, you know, basically like a dictator, then the National Assembly can, uh, you know, call that out and the president of the National Assembly becomes interim president. And that's exactly what he did on January 23rd. He stood in front of the crowd, he raised his right hand in the air, uh, and he said, uh, you know, I swear, I take this oath, whatever, uh, that I am declaring myself, invoking Article 233, declaring myself president of, uh, interim president of Venezuela pending elections. Um, so like I said, I, I was really surprised. I think a lot of people were. Um, and, and that's why we've got this, like, you know, we've got two presidents now, essentially. We have a, 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 a constitutional crisis unfolding um, right now. So after this uh, Guaido guy has said, right, you know, I'm going to run this kind of opposition against Maduro, people are in the streets, there's been protests. Uh, I read earlier, I think, what it was, it over 30 people have been shot and killed. Um, what's going on in the streets? So <clears throat> Guaido had a, uh, he gave a speech last night, a really quick, um, um, he was on Periscope, um, and he announced the next, we'll call them street actions, the next protests. Um, and I think a lot of people were expecting him to uh, call for daily protests, which is what we saw in 2014 and 2017. So you might remember back then we had a couple of months of really, you know, daily protests all around the country. For a while, it was looking like a small yeah. insurgency, to be honest, or at least the start of one. Exactly. Yeah. So, so interestingly, last night he said, um, he said, look, we... The next protest is going to be on Wednesday, he said, and then we're going to have another one on Saturday. So, and he said the reason why that is is because we, you know, I understand that we got to look for food, and 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 you know we can't, you know, people can't afford really to be on the streets every single day, um, given the the severity of the crisis in Venezuela. And I remember that's that's an argument that came up quite a bit, um, certainly during the 2017 protest movement, where where you know people were saying like we we can't physically be on the streets all the time like i have to you know go line up at supermarkets to to in, in the hopes of finding food so it seems like guaido this time is trying to switch it up a bit he's not um calling for the same kinds of daily protests but they're still uh, planning events and so the first one is going to be on wednesday he said from 12 to 2 so it's a very organized uh, protest from noon to 2 p.m uh, and then there's going to be a really big one, he said, on on Saturday. And that might be like a day-long affair. But those are just the ones that are announced. The other thing to remember is that there's, um, you know, spontaneous protests in Venezuela all the time. It's it's not uncommon for, 
you know, residents of, of a particular area of a city or a town to, you know, block a road because they haven't had electricity for a while or they haven't had water in a while. And those don't typically make it to, um, certainly in the international media, um, those are still going on uh, all over the country, but the big ones, the ones that grab headlines uh, across the world, um, those are occurring less frequently, at least up to this point. Right, but people have already died. I know that you're saying that he's calling for protests, but people have already died. I think on the 23rd, someone died immediately, like someone was shot. Who's doing this? Yeah, so people have been killed. Um, because the situation is so fluid right now, I, I'm seeing ranges of uh, estimates of fatalities. The most recent numbers that I saw were were 42 killed in the last week. I think that's the, the a more accurate number. I think this is all preliminary information is probably closer to 35. That's what I'm more comfortable sort of reporting. Um, yeah. But the range is probably about 35 to 42. Um, the first fatalities, I think, I mean, they occurred before the 23rd, uh, which also took a lot of people by surprise because it seemed like there was so much tension in the country in anticipation for January 23rd that we we saw protests even on the 20, on the 21st and the 22nd. Like, it's almost like people couldn't wait to go protest, right? So uh, different from previous protest waves, it looks like the bulk of the repression and at least the bulk of the killing is being done by um, uh, a police body, it's part of the National Bolivarian Police, and it's called, the, in Spanish, it's FAES, it's F-A-E-S. Um, they're the same guys that um, actually killed Oscar Perez and his um, uh, fighters in El Junquito last year. So the paramilitaries, basically. They're, they're yeah, I mean, uh, yes. I know that being police and maybe paramilitary is quite a fine line there in Venezuela right now. Yeah, I mean, they're the kind of guys you see with like, yeah, you know, like full face coverings, like all these crazy weapons. They they also did, um, they played a big role in a thing, in like a security initiative, and I'm doing air quotes right now, I realize people can't see them, but... It was a security initiative a couple of years ago. It was called the OLP. And it was supposed to be like a security initiative. But basically what we saw were death squads that were uh, made up of largely of these FAES guys who would just drive into uh, barrios and they would, you know, just sort of murder people um, at will. And uh, so they, they've been around for a while in Venezuela. People know them as basically death squads. Um, they're doing most of the repression, it seems like, this year. And in previous years, that hasn't been the case. In previous years, the repression has been mostly carried out by the National Guard. So people are reading a lot into that. Um, some people are saying, well, it's because the army is starting to crack or, or Maduro doesn't feel confident calling on the National Guard uh, to do the job this year. And he's going to, like, these five guys who are really sort of hardcore and, 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 um, and are willing to sort of do these things more often. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's too early to tell, but that is an observation that, that, that we can make, that the FIES is much more involved in the repression this year than they have in, in previous years. Right, you, you just mentioned about the military is starting to correct. Tell us about that. I have seen uh, a few videos now where I think, you know, a general maybe, or I might have got that wrong, but, you know, high up members of the military have... I think, sworn allegiance to the opposition, right? And there was also this video of, I don't know who they look like, military guys, but I don't know, maybe just rebels in Colombia saying we're going to go to the border, you know, basically noise up Maduro. I mean, nothing has happened yet with that as far as I know, but I guess what's going on? This is this is unprecedented, right? We didn't really see this other than Oscar Perez when the protests were happening in 2017. Yeah, this is this is unprecedented. So there's a couple of things going on there. Uh, prior to the 23rd, we did see those those videos from Peru and Colombia of men in Venezuela army uniforms 
declaring themselves in open rebellion uh, against the government. So there was a lot of discussion about who might, who those men might be. I suspect that they're deserters. I mean, something like, you know, well over a million people have left the country uh, in recent years. And it, you know, it's, it's perfectly, um, um, uh, you know, reasonable to say that some of them might have been soldiers and that they might have brought their uniforms with them. Uh, so we saw the video from Peru. We saw it from Colombia. And I don't know where those guys are. They did say that they were marching towards the border. Um, I don't, I, I, we haven't heard from them since. Uh, we also had, um, I think that we had a, the, the military attache at the embassy in Washington. So the guy from the Ministry of Defense uh, he defected in a video, I think yesterday or two days ago, but we haven't seen um, anything like a, really like the army cracking. Um, on the 22nd, we did have a National Guard outpost in Caracas um, rebel. All those guys were arrested in a couple hours, and I think they're all in prison right now. Um, what's wh One of the other things that makes this protest wave uh, uh, unprecedented and different from the other ones is that it, th the opposition is, has passed an amnesty law. They passed it on the 15th, and they're really driving the point home through their protest actions that this law is on the table for anybody, any regime official, including soldiers, who want to contribute to restoring democracy in the country. So what they're hoping to do is to convince soldiers or generals or, you know, anybody in the military to switch sides. And that's something that hasn't really happened in previous years beyond just making the general appeal. The the opposition has gone the, the you know, sort of all the way with this and said, we, you know, we're not just calling on you to to join us. Like we've cre we've passed a law specifically to allow you to join us. Like a quick transition. Yeah, just like, you know, if you want to switch sides, now is the time to do it. You know, we've got this interim president who's getting recognized by countries around the world. And also like there's this law that will protect you. So you can rest assured that we're not going to throw you in jail or, you know, uh, et cetera, right? So that's new to this year. It hasn't been working, I think, because uh, like I said, we haven't really seen uh, any movement from the military. I mean, we've seen movement sort of in the other way. Uh, the Ministry of Defense, the Minister of Defense issued a, a statement, I think, the, the after the 23rd, the 24th, um, he, he released a video saying, you know, we're with Maduro, he's our leader, et cetera, right? So uh, if there is discontent in the army, and I'm sure there is, we, we, we're just not seeing it right now. Okay. And what, I saw this really weird video the other day. I think it was on Maduro's Twitter. And he's, he's riding around. It's so strange. It's really badly shot. Uh, and he's got some like weird, he looks like Kim Jong-il, like, you know, or, or, or Kim Jong-un. And um, he's in this boat. I think he's around Curacao and he's saying like, oh, we're prepared to defend the borders. Yeah, that's the one. There was a series of videos in one of the videos. He's like trying to jog with the, with the soldiers and it looks really awkward. Yeah, I, I saw that one. He's in that boat with his uh, army friends. Uh, he was in Puerto Cabello, which is, yeah, it's on the coast of Venezuela, I guess, facing up towards um, Curaçao. Um, those sorts of events are relatively common in Venezuela. But this one, because it's happening in this context of this constitutional crisis, takes on a, a special meaning. And I think it was very clearly meant to show Maduro was still in charge of the army, that he commanded the respect of the soldiers. Um, there's a video of him, like, giving him a speech. And all the soldiers are, are sitting down in front of him, and they're kind of, like, looking up at him. Uh, you know, with admiration, um, you know, that's all clearly staged to, to you know, provide that image that, that Maduro is, is squarely in charge of the army, uh, nobody's rebelling, everything's fine. And um, uh, yeah, that's clearly the message in those videos. Well, yeah, it's authoritarian government 101, isn't it? You know, you always see 
when when the cracks start to show authoritarian governments will basically put on a show for for everyone else yeah what people have been pointing out is like you know the same day that he did that i think that was i mean everything's moving so fast i can't i think that was yesterday probably um you know you ha- you have like images of opposition leaders surrounded by crowds of civilian supporters and then you have you know juxtaposed with that maduro surrounded by you know hundreds of soldiers and tanks and and um guns you know it's, it's some interesting imagery going on there for sure yeah um i think we should talk about the us meddling as well now i know that a lot of people online who have done absolutely no reading on this are immediately screaming us coup you know keep keep uh, maduro in um and then there are others who are suggesting that the US is nothing to do with this which i think would be incredibly naive to think they don't have a very big hand you know in the pie right now um but w- what it you know is it's not a coup is it a revolution what's happening maybe you can give us a clear nuanced version right now uh, in in previous occasions in previous protest waves I've, I tr- i've tried not to sort of read too much into those sort of commentaries i mean i think it's clear that people are and by people I'm saying here, people who don't live in Venezuela, they're they're looking at the situation through their domestic political lenses. So if you live in England, you look at it through whatever's happening in England, right? Like if you live in the U.S., you look at it through the Trump, you know, uh, sort of lens, right? And and that distorts the picture because in Venezuela, people don't care about the politics in England or the politics in 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 the United States too much, right? And they certainly don't care about the politics in your stupid fucking class at university. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like there's there's more immediate concerns to the Venezuela. Like the reason why they're protesting is not because of 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 yeah whatever you might be learning in class. It's because you know there's these conditions. The conditions in Venezuela are such that that they're breeding these protests, right? Corruption, lack of medicine and food, etc. So. Um, those sort of commentaries I always kind of try to ignore because they're just, for the most part, they're really ill-informed, right? Um, and and I think the one that I did see, so, you know, what would be sort of a good stance to take on this? Definitely any kind of intervention, foreign intervention in this is, is completely undesirable. Like, that's the worst thing that could happen. Um, you know, and that goes for the United States, it goes for Russia, it goes for any any power that thinks, you know, we can sort of manipulate what's going on in the country and dictate the fate of, of the country. That it cannot happen. I, I think that too, but maybe you can explain why. Well, because... You know, any kind of meddling in, I think in this case, I, I think I might have mentioned this in the previous podcast, but like if, if if the country is going to move beyond this tragic period, we're talking about, you know, almost 20 years now of, of, of this uh, political program that really hasn't worked, it has to come to an end and it has to be pushed aside by the people of Venezuela. If the United States comes and they, you know, install a puppet government or whatever, that that's not going to help. It it might, you know, like bring food back to the supermarkets. Maybe I don't know, but it's that's not good for the country. That's it. It won't help. And that, I, I'm talking here about the U.S. and I'm talking also about Russia. I mean, I think it's also important to to think to consider the fact that. Uh, you know, if you're talking about meddling in Venezuela, like you, you can't just look at the U.S. Yes, the U.S. has a history of, of intervention in Latin America, but uh, you know, we, we saw the report from Reuters just a, a couple days ago saying that there might be as many as 400 mercenaries from Wagner in um, in, in in Venezuela right now. Yeah, and just for anyone that doesn't know, Wagner is this. Um allegedly uh, Kremlin-linked paramilitary group that Russia can kind of send in here, there and everywhere. They've been seen in the Donbass in Ukraine. They're all over Syria. 
Um, yeah, now we're hearing that they were, what was it, protecting Maduro? Is that right? Yeah, that's what the Reuters report said. So the, the estimates, again, this is all based on this one report that I read, was that it's either small groups of these uh, mercenaries or up to 400, I think, is what's cited in the piece. And, and supposedly they're there to protect Maduro. So this is an issue that involves the Venezuelan people. It's the Venezuelan people who are protesting on the streets. It's Venezuelan people who are dying um, at the hands of, of the government, you know, fighting for a better country. So it has to be resolved by them. So, you know, as I was saying earlier, like, okay, what's an appropriate response? What do I think is an appropriate response from an international observer who is concerned about the situation in Venezuela and who wants to help? I think Bernie Sanders had a really good response. Yeah, I do as well, actually. I saw that and I was like, that is a good take. You know, it doesn't mean deny the history of US doing horrible, horrific things whilst meddling in other countries. But that doesn't mean that you also then go, yeah, let's side with this monstrous person who is allowing people to starve you to know? death. Yeah, it was perfect. You know, he led with, uh, you know, he, I think it was like two or three tweets. He said, you know, Maduro has violently repressed the protests. Uh, the, you know, the, the presidential elections were rigged. Um, uh, you know, the, the countries and in, in the economic situation is, is horrendous. Um, you know, but, but, and that's important, but, you know, we can't forget what the U.S. has done and we can't allow it to happen again. And so I don't know why a lot of people can't seem to make that, uh, their position. Um, you know, you can say, and you know, I'm, I don't want Maduro in power. The Venezuelan people don't want Maduro in power. He has to go. Uh, the Venezuelan people should be allowed to choose their next president. And also at the same time, I don't want the United States or Russia or anybody else to interfere. That's not an incoherent position. You can have those two thoughts uh, in your head at the same time, right? Like, well, yeah, you would think. Yeah, but I, I don't see why some people are, are, you know, like you said, like they're saying, well, yeah, uh, I'm anti-US, therefore I'm pro-Maduro. That, that's not, you, you know, that's, pro, you know, like try, try the other way. Try to say Maduro's bad, he should go. There shouldn't be any more protests or deaths. People should be able to choose their own president. And also at the same time, I don't want the US to do anything uh, in Venezuela. Yeah. I think it comes down to what you were saying earlier. First of all, people are ignorant to the actual facts, but really they're looking at it through, I think, a prism of which team am I on? You know, and it's like, it's absolutely not that simple. It really isn't that simple. Unfortunately, I think things are so toxic now that that's how it gets looked at. That being said, um, I want to ask you, I've seen a lot of people claiming uh, that the opposition are fascists. They're far right. In fact, there was... Um, a politician in the White House and she was saying she actually called uh, the opposition far right. I think I think the context was slightly different to that, but it you know, it was alluding to that. Um, what do you think of that? That, you know, no. So I, to say that the opposition is far right, first of all, the opposition is everybody who doesn't like Maduro. And we're talking about millions of people. So to say that they're all, you know, that they're fascists uh, or that a majority of them are fascists is just incorrect. Um, um, I, I think that, you know, I've seen tweets of of some uh, opposition leaders, including Guaido, like congratulating, for example, Bolsonaro on his win, right? And there's no doubt that they see Trump as an ally, just because Trump is an enemy of um, of, of Maduro, right? So I think that just as international observers look at uh, Venezuelan politics through their own lenses, polit politicians in Venezuela look at international politics through their own lenses, and so they also have distorted views of what's going on in Brazil and what's going on in the United States. So a lot of, you know, some people in Venezuela might say, oh, like Bolsonaro is a good guy. 
And, and if you ask them, why would you say that? They'll say, well, because the only thing I know about him is that he doesn't like Maduro. Right, yeah. So they know as little about him as the people that are saying they're all fascist, basically. Uh, right. So it's, it's exactly the same thing. We look at things that happen in countries that we, you know, don't, uh, you know, we're not from there. We don't understand the political history, but we look at them at, at events there through our own political lenses. And the same thing happens in Venezuela. So that's one argument that I've heard people say, like, well, like Guaido is clearly a fascist because he tweeted, you know, congratulations to Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro is a horrible... Uh, person and you know personally I wouldn't have you know I wish he hadn't done that he had congratulated him but I think he's just doing it um, you know he did it just because of that same reason he's he's a uh, he's looking at the situation in Brazil through the Venezuelan political lens and he's saying who's going to help us uh, you know who's anti Maduro anybody who's anti Maduro is my friend right um, you know that's that's problematic on a number of re- uh, uh, for a number of reasons the other example that I hear is that people will like pick out individual instances of protester violence and they'll say. Um, Oh, like all the protesters are, are like literally like guerrillas who are like, you know, yeah, violent fascists who are going around killing cops. So, you know, you have a situation of generalized violence throughout the country. Uh, the government's repressing peaceful protests everywhere. And uh, yeah, you're going to have instances of, of protesters uh, doing violent things. But you can't then take those individual examples and paint the entire opposition movement, you know, by these by these handful of um uh, uh, you know, examples of, of protester violence. Uh, there's a there's a really long history of of, of people siding with oppressors in, in protest movements, right? Like anytime you look at a protest movement in history, there's people who are defending the authorities who were doing all the repression. Um, uh, you know, I, I saw uh, recently a, a, a Gallup poll taken after the uh, the Kent State shooting, when the National Guard shot all the uh, student protesters uh, back during. Um, um, the uh, uh, civil, um, the Vietnam War uh, unrest in the United States. And like most people supported the National Guard and almost nobody was like 11% supported the students, right? Um, so that always happens. People are always going to pick out individual examples of, of protest or violence and they're going to say the entire protest movement is full of violent people who just want to kill, uh, you know, the opposite side. Those are the two strategies that I've seen people deploy, uh, linking um, or, you know, pointing to any sort of uh, links between uh, like Guaido and Trump or, or Guaido and, and Bolsonaro. Uh, and saying, well, they're all, you know, they're all the same kind of horrible fascist types. Uh, and then pointing to individual instances of protester violence and saying all of the protesters are are violent when that's not the case. But even if they are violent, like, you know, so what? You need to use violence to fight against authoritarianism. It just absolutely history has shown us that has to be true. You can't passively just ignore it. I'd say what I find very strange um, is when these kind of all cops are bastards, leftist types suddenly become pro-state when what they see as their side is being attacked. It's almost like, what, you know what I mean? Does the theory mean nothing to you anymore? I don't know. It's, it fascinates me. I think it's, um, I don't know, a good case study on all that stuff. But um, what, what about this situation anyway, where all these countries are starting to recognise uh, the opposition and they're saying like, what, he's got eight days, Maduro's got eight days to, to hold an election or something like that. What are they going to do? Yeah, so that was one of the other things that people pointing to and to say, oh, this is clear like a U.S. conspiracy to install this guy in government because as soon as he declared himself president on the 23rd, I think the U.S. was the first country to recognize him within like an hour. It was really quickly. And then it was Canada and the countries of the Lima Group, which is this regional block of countries that formed in 2017 to help the opposition um, and to uh, sort of organize international response against the Maduro regime. So... um, We've had the United States uh, recognize Guaido. We've had Canada. Last I 
I checked, it was well over a dozen countries, and I, I think a lot of the EU ones uh, did as well. So, you know, all of that is evidence, I think, that, of the fact that, like, before declaring himself president, Guaido called him up and said, hey, like, just a heads up, if I were to declare myself president tomorrow, would you support me, right? It's a smart move, actually, politically. Yeah, like, I would want my political leaders to also plan more than, like, a couple of minutes ahead, right? Um, so, so you know, I, I think that's what happened there. I don't think people should be surprised or, or take that as evidence of, of some, you know, vast conspiracy. Conspiracy. Uh, the the EU ultimatum that you're referring to, that was issued, I think it was on Saturday or, or maybe even Friday. Uh, and it was a statement from the EU saying to Maduro, um, so it didn't recognize Guaido as president, um, um, just to backtrack a bit. Um, at least I don't think it did. I'm going off memory here. I think what the, what the statement said was, Maduro, you have to call free transparent elections within the next eight days or uh, we will recognize Guaido as president. So they gave him a deadline. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that we have a big um, a protest planned for Saturday. And that protest, Guaido explained, was to uh, show support for the ultimatum, which is expiring on Sunday. So starting on Sunday, if Maduro hasn't called elections, I don't think he will. Um, according to that EU statement, they would recognize um, Guaido as, as president, which has all kinds of implications for how the country accesses finances, how it conducts diplomacy. And we're already starting to see some of that uh, unfold. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it seems very unlikely that Maduro is going to hold an election just because the EU told him to. Yeah, so I think that's probably the least likely scenario. I think um, what the opposition is going for this time is uh, a negotiated exit for Maduro and his, uh, his, his people. I think the amnesty law plays a big role in that. Um, Guaido has been pressed a couple of times in different interviews if he would even include Maduro in that in that amnesty law. So like if Maduro were to say, okay, I, I'm leaving, um, don't come looking for me. Um, and he sort of oscillated. Um, he, he, as from what I can tell, he hasn't said yes or no either way, but he's, he's sort of hinted at yes. Well, the fact he hasn't said no hints at yes as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. He hasn't, he hasn't said no, it's everybody but him. Um, he said things like, well, everybody's included. If any official wants to come talk to me, I'll be, I'll be waiting. He did name Diosdado Cabello and, and Freddie Bernal, who are these two big PSUV guys. He, he called them out by name and he said, if you two want to come talk to me, I'm here, right? Uh, so I wouldn't discount, uh, uh, that's the best solution, I think. Uh, a negotiated exit. So Maduro and all of the, uh, you know, there's a, it's a long list of people, but, but Maduro and all of his guys uh, and girls, they leave the country. Um, there's a new uh, electoral authority appointed and we have uh, free and fair elections and people can vote, can actually, you know, vote for who they want to be president. Um, I, I don't know if that's likely. I think that's what the opposition is playing for. I think that's the best situation. The other the other possibility is, it's becoming less likely, and I can explain why in a minute, but when Guaido first declared president, first declared himself president, I thought that the government would try to do what they've always done with the opposition, which is just ignore them. So I mentioned earlier that the opposition won the National Assembly in 2015, and then all of the laws that they passed, the, the government just ignored. They got the Supreme Court to say, no, this isn't really a law, we're not gonna follow it. Um, and so I thought that, um, you know, maybe if it didn't, if he didn't gain a lot of force, you know, through being recognized by other countries, the government would just sort of ignore him. Um, and he, you know, they would say, okay, like, you know, anybody can declare themselves president of anywhere. So, you know, good luck with that, right? Like you go be president and we'll do our, our thing. Um, 
I think that's becoming less likely because um, because of the international recognition. So there was a report earlier that the Bank of England was refusing to hand over something like $1.2 billion worth of gold that they had stashed for Maduro. Um, and and I think, um, you know, there, I, I saw a report also that the United States had recognized an appointed person by Guaido as like the legitimate ambassador to the U.S., not the one that, that Maduro had had, um, had appointed. So I think, I think if we start to see more countries sort of like refusing to deal with Maduro d- diplomatically or financially, um, the government won't be able to ignore that. So they're not going to just be able to to do what they've done before uh, because it's really going to hurt them. Like they'll, you know, they won't be able to conduct any kind of foreign policy, and and they won't be able to access money or. Um, so so because of because we're starting to see hints that that's happening, I think the government ignoring this is is going to be less uh, less likely a possibility than I thought initially. You just said then that you know the Bank of England are holding money basically from Maduro, and I know that the U.S. is also holding money um, from them. Surely that is affecting the food situation. Like I know the reason that everybody is starving and there isn't food is because of horrific mismanagement by Maduro. But the Americans and the Brits holding money from that country, surely that is going to have a horrible effect on the people there. I mean, I get it. You know, oh, we don't want to let Maduro have the have the money, but shouldn't they do that? Like to stop people starving? Yeah, I, I think that you know, I, I don't know what. Yes, like we don't want people to suffer. Like, let's be absolutely clear. Yeah, we we shouldn't do anything that that will make the people of Venezuela suffer more. Um, I think probably what the opposition and you know the Bank of England and people who are withholding money from the from the government are thinking is that like, well, these guys are just going to steal that money. Uh, anyways, like this isn't really going for food and and and, uh, and medicine, right? I mean, that's that's true to a certain extent. Like some of that money was stolen, but you know, the scarcity crisis, as severe as it was, um, you know, obviously there were still some food in the supermarkets and there was still some medicine, right? It was still a horrendous situation, um, which was caused directly by uh, this um, uh, unchecked government corruption. Um, but uh, that's precisely what I'm saying. It, it, it's that makes the situation much more volatile for the government. They can't ignore what's what if, you know. If, if those sorts of things continue to happen, they won't be able to just ignore Guaido and hope that he goes away. They're going to have to do something. Uh, but I have no idea what the, what what that something is. Well, with all with that in mind, then do you think that Venezuela could be headed towards a war? I, I was really afraid of that in the first maybe. Uh, 24, 48 hours after the 23rd because I thought if anybody's on the fence, any general, any whatever sergeant, anybody in the army thinking about switching sides, this is going to be the moment they're going to do it. Uh, and they haven't done it yet. So the first the first 24 hours, I was really nervous. I was sort of expecting it to happen. The 48 hours, I thought, well, maybe still. Uh, you know, now we're heading into the, the first week of this, and we haven't we haven't seen the army turn. I could think of a situation where where there is something like a civil war. Um, if this continues, um, if if we continue to have this um, 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 uh, presidential crisis where we have two presidents. And suddenly, the government, the the uh, Maduro government, doesn't have access to to finance. Um, I could see the situation becoming so unstable, so untenable in the country that that pushes even even the the soldiers who haven't turned against the government so far. That might push them over the edge, right? Um, so it's um, it's a really unprecedented time in Venezuelan history. It's it's really hard to predict. Um, but, um, you know, I don't want to say that that's a very high possibility that that would happen. I like to think, I, I still like to think that the, the uh, negotiated exit is, is, is the most likely thing that would happen. Um, it would certainly, I think, be the best thing. Yeah, I mean, it would, but 
I don't know. I mean, as an outsider, it doesn't look good, especially the fact you have to remember, like we said earlier, up to 35 people have been killed in less than a week since this happened. That's, I don't know. That to me seems mad. It seems like a very bad precedent. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing to consider when thinking about, you know, what is there going to be a civil war? Like, you know, who would switch? Which units would switch? I think I think it's important to keep in mind that in uh, one of the reasons why why the, the Maduro regime has lasted so long is because it does count on the support of the upper and I would say even the mid-level uh, army guys. Um, but there's clearly discontent at the lower levels. So in the mutiny that we saw in Caracas last week, there was actually, there was a really remarkable video of the negotiations that happened between the National Guard commander that the government sent to this base to, to negotiate with these soldiers who were, who were staging this mutiny. And one of the soldiers has a really sort of frank conversation with the commander and he says, he tells him things like, look, you know, we're, we're rebelling because we don't have, like, I haven't been paid in weeks and whatever I, I am paid doesn't, I can't buy any food. The guy tells him, uh, the soldier tells the commander that he's homeless, that he's got kids, you know, he's got, he's got to worry about. How he's be. So, so, you know, when we say like the army is corrupt and, and they're still, we're talking about the high level guys, right? So like the, yeah. the average soldier, yeah. like the, the normal soldier in Venezuela is suffering as well. So, um, you know, again, thinking about what would a fracturing of the military look like, it would it would have to, I think, happen starting at the very low low levels. But then again, there's a question of effectiveness, right? Like if you have a couple of soldiers breaking off here and a couple of soldiers breaking off there in small groups, I think the government can pretty safely deal with that sort of stuff. That's kind of what would, what they've been doing um, really since Maduro came to power. But, it, you know, it's, it's an, just another factor to consider. And what about militant attacks? What about some kind of uh, rebel group, perhaps not even linked to the military, starting to attack? Sure, yeah. I mean, we haven't had, well, we've had the history, like Oscar Perez was probably the most famous uh, yeah. one of those guys. Um, yeah, I think the conditions are there for, for anybody who, who wants to, like, you know, it, 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 it's it's been known that uh, you know soldiers like will sell their equipment for for um, for money, obviously, right? So like they'll sell their rifles or they'll sell grenades. There was like a string of grenade attacks that I think were just tied to common to sort of like ordinary crime a couple of years ago, and people were like, "Where are all, all these grenades coming from? Like, how are people getting their hands on grenades?" And you know, it's like they're falling out of trucks basically at the army, right? People are selling them. So um, yeah, I think the conditions are there for 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 anybody who wants to like set up some kind of like rebel group to like pretty easily access guns. I think. Um, uh, at least military grade ones, um, but the fact that we haven't seen anything like that happen yet, I think, is telling. Right? Yeah. You know, like thirty-five people have been killed. That's a tragedy. Um, but when you look at the videos of the protests and and you see how many people were out protesting, it's it's almost almost like miraculous that more people haven't been killed. Um, you know, again, I don't want to minimize the 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 tragedy, the, the fatalities. Um, that it's uh, you know any de any death is tragic, but but you can sort of look at it in the other way and say like, wow, even even in this level of chaos and and like really we have two presidents, like you know what is that? I mean, they're still somehow, you know, not not all out sort of warfare on the streets as you might expect, right? And what about Colombia? I saw that um, footage this morning of what looked like, I think it was heavy weapons, I think howitzers and stuff like that. They were being sent to the border, or at least in the direction of the Colombian border. Why Why would they need to do that? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm aware of that video. I haven't, like, verified um, if it shows really what it claims to show, that these are sure. uh, moving towards Colombia. 
Um, Colombia has historically been the scapegoat for the Maduro regime. Everything that goes wrong in the country, they tie back to Colombia. Um, I think, um, you know, they don't, you know, when Maduro says like, oh, the reason there's no electricity is because of Colombia. Um, you know, he doesn't believe that, obviously. I don't think he does. Uh, but I think I think now they're probably like they see Colombia as, as more of a threat than they would normally. Uh, and just because I'm sure they're thinking about, okay, like if there were to be some kind of inven- invasion, like where would it come from? Well, Colombia is pretty close with the U.S., right? Uh, we have yeah. a really big border. So I think I think if there are troop movements towards Colombia, again, I, I haven't verified this myself it's it's probably you know just like in anticipation for maybe not something that's going to happen but but a possibility right um it's um yeah it's um i haven't seen any other videos of of true boomers uh, so i'll be interested in seeing if there's any more um anything to do with the military right now everybody's watching really closely because um you know very fragile situation and what happened with the currency today i saw um they were saying that the what is it? The official currency is now at the same level as the black market rate or something. Can you can you explain that? I didn't fully understand it. I'm so yeah, bad so with numbers. It's unreal. It's, yeah, it's, I mean it's complicated stuff. I've been covering this for 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 five years, and I've just now like very recently come to a place where I can kind of explain it. So I'm going to try my best. So I'll I will say that I haven't seen this reported in Venezuelan media. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not true. So this is a report that came up on uh, AFP, right? Uh, yeah. It was citing a government official saying that they had um sorry i'm just reading the the headline yeah so i'm not gonna i'd rather not comment on this uh too much because i just don't know all the facts i I do see a headline here on a venezuelan news outlet that is mentioning something like it I, i would have to read it but basically um what the headline that you linked said was that um a government official had said that they would scrap the official exchange rate and that the exchange, the black market exchange rate would become the official exchange rate. So like, what does that mean? When you, when you go to the bank, so I, I live in Canada, when I go to the, the bank in Canada and I say, I want to buy some US dollars, they'll pull up an official exchange rate, right? Uh, and they'll say, okay, this is what a US dollar costs today, right? And I'll just buy it at that rate. Um, for many years in Venezuela, that system hasn't worked that way. There's been an official rate that is artificially very, very low. So you can buy US dollars for like almost nothing. And the black market rate has been very, very high. So what you could do is if you were like really well connected with people in government, because you have to you have to get the official dollars from the government, is you would be able to just buy US dollars for like, for nothing really, for like cents. And then you would turn around and you could sell them in the black market for huge profits. So that scam, is basically a way to print U.S. dollars for basically free. And people were doing that for many years. That's one of the reasons why the country's in this really bad shape because all of the, all of the, all of the money was going into private pockets of people uh, basically scamming money out of the, out of the government. And, and it also, that system, that two-tiered system, having the official rate and the black market rate at the same time, what that did was uh, it also affected um, uh, the scarcity crisis. Um, so, you know, I could make up like a shell company and I could say, yeah, I need a million dollars to like import food and medicine through my company. I would buy a million dollars for really, really cheap from the government. I wouldn't import anything and I would instead, you know, turn around and, and sell that money and make a profit. Right. So if they if they are and again, I, I, I want to double check this. But if the government is erasing the two uh, tiered system and just going with what the black market says, it, it would do two things. It would it would make the Bolivar Soberano, which is the 
the the currency. So it would make it worth even less, uh, which isn't which isn't good. Uh, and it would also eliminate a really important mechanism of corruption. But I have to um, I have to double check. I'm, I'm thinking that it might be like I want to know like which government official said this. I want to know if it was like a Guaido government official or a Maduro government official because that sounds like something a Guaido government official would say. And if a Guaido government official said that, then it doesn't carry much water right now because they wouldn't. They're not in a position to do it. So um, yeah, I mean, this is just another example of like how fluid the situation is. I, I, you know, I'm trying to keep up with this like minute to minute, and there's stuff happening that I that I don't I just don't know. There's so many things going on at at once yeah um what was that what was that thing that happened the other day it became like this internet meme i think guaido went to meet someone he was hooded up i think the maduro government said that he was it was proof that he was some kind of u.s asset or something i i didn't fully understand it can you explain it if, if you know what i'm talking yeah, about? yeah is this the thing about the uh, hoodie yeah yeah the guaido uh, challenge yeah right the guaido challenge yeah so all right so this is yeah this is kind of a funny story so Historically, uh, during the Maduro years, one of the tricks that the government has pulled is that uh, they will they will tell people that opposition leaders are secretly meeting with them. Um, and the reason they do this is because people hate the government and they don't want people to secretly meet with the government, right? Like they feel like they're uh, like they're selling out, right? So, so they've always done this. Uh, they, they've done it since Maduro, you know. It's possible they did it under Chavez as well. I don't remember. I, I, I'm, uh, but they've always done it under Maduro. They've said, oh, you, you know, you guys like so-and-so so much. You think he's your leader. Well, like, did you know that? He, like, went to Maduro's house yesterday and, you know, whatever, right? It's supposed to discredit them. They're playing yeah. uh, both sides. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it sows discontent and stuff. And people, start, you know, they start talking about that and they, you know, they, 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 they're, they're distracted. So the other day, uh, the minister of communication, he goes on TV and he does that. He, he, he plays that same card that they've always played. He showed this, like, really great rainy video supposedly from some hotel in Caracas and it shows like a couple of government guys like walking into this hotel room and then like the video skips a while and then there's like this guy whose face is like completely hidden underneath the hoodie and, and I think he's wearing a baseball cap like it could be anybody it could be me it could be you and then the guy he makes like a, such a huge deal out of it if you watch a clip he's like all right now pause the video now rewind and then like they draw like this red circle around this enhance enhance yeah he's like enhance you know and then it's like this is Juan Guaido and he said he wasn't here but he was Meanwhile, it could be literally anybody. There's no way. It's a human male, basically, in, in, right. in the video. So then um, what was really funny was that people reacted to it, obviously, in like total mockery of it, because it was just such an absurd attempt to to um, to to do the same thing that they've always done. So there was this trending hashtag after called uh, Guido Challenge, and it was just like people like putting hoodies in uh, on their dogs or like and they're being like no like that wasn't quite oh like that was my dog and the, you know it's like a picture of the dog in a hoodie uh, and it was trending for a while uh, i think i think people yeah i mean even by the government standards it was like a pretty it's like that was a really poor attempt at it um and um yeah it was it was good that it was it was turned into like a brief moment of, of like laughter and in, in what is otherwise a, a pretty miserable situation um yeah that was like Guido challenge and what about Chavez um, supporters? I saw some footage where I think there was an anti-Maduro protest in the Chavez stronghold. Now, I could be wrong on that. It's been a, a couple of days since I saw it. But I think that's what I saw. What, what are Chavez supporters? You know, I know obviously Chavez is not the same as Maduro. Um, what's going on? Yeah, so the, the earlier protests that we saw last week, last week, so these are the ones on the 21st and the 22nd, 
those caught people by surprise, not only because they took place before the scheduled protests of the 23rd, but also because they took place in areas, um, I'm speaking, speaking specifically of Caracas, in really poor areas that have been historically uh, bastions of the PSUV. Uh, there were, you know, Chavez strongholds. So this is like the 23 de Enero, Katia, um, in the Cotiza area, where we had the mutiny, the National Guard mutiny. So uh, those caught a lot of people by surprise because it, it was evidence that even the people who were supporting Chavez uh, and Maduro even up till recently were out protesting. So this is something that we hadn't, that we wouldn't have seen many years ago. You know, if you go back to like the protests of 2007, uh, these were areas that wouldn't have gone out to protest, but they were out on the streets uh, this week. And I think that's evidence of, of something that, you know, should be clear. Like if there's scarcity in the country and if there's, you know, um, uh, lack of food, lack of medicine, uh, poor elect electrical service, poor water service, and, and that is all true, those things affect the poor the most. Uh, if you've got lots of money, if you're really rich, you can afford to go buy food, you can afford to have it imported, you can afford to have like private collection of garbage. But if you're, you know, if you're the poorest of the poor, you, you don't and you suffer the most. So I think what we're seeing in, in the protests in those areas is is an inevitable uh, reaction to, to the failed government of Maduro. I'll also say that it's really important to consider the difference between Chavismo and Madurismo. There's a bit of a debate in Venezuela about if there is such a thing of ma as Madurismo, like has Maduro created a political legacy that is different from Chavez? Like, is he a different kind of PSUV leader, right? And so um, I, it's gonna be really important moving forward to answer that question and to say, you know, when people think about socialism in Venezuela, do they think about Chavez or do they think about Maduro? If they think about Chavez, then, then the project might have uh, a, a, another chance in the future. People might say, look, Maduro was a mistake. Clearly, he didn't know what he was doing. He was a dictator. Let's go back. You know, let's get closer to what Chavez was trying to do. If they can't do that, if they equate Chavez's rule with Maduro's rule, I think, I think Chavismo, um, you know, will be dead in Venezuela. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it also ties in. I, I see a lot of Americans, they're always like, this is what happens when your country is on socialism. And it's like, man, this, this, that country hasn't been a socialist country for a very long time, right? If you look at the, the theory and the concepts, Maduro is a complete crook. Yeah, no, that, that's one of the things that upsets me a lot about headlines from the US. I mean, Fox News obviously always does this, but I saw, yeah, I, I think yeah, NBC yeah. did it as well also. Like they'll say, you know, they'll say things like, oh, the, you know, this is like the third day of protest of socialist Maduro's whatever, right? Like they'll mention the word socialism and it's like, well, like that's that's not really you're not really clarifying the picture. It, that's not a, an accurate description of, of why the the country has is suffering in this way. Uh, you know, like you could use instead of socialism, you could use like more. You know, you could use a word like, like you know kleptocracy, authoritarianism, authoritarianism, dictatorship. Right? There's other words that you can use that would more accurately describe. Oh, that's why the country's so messed up. It's because of the kleptocracy or or a, you know a dictatorship. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not arguing for any political theory. I'm not even arguing for socialism, but it just seems so dumb. It's like the equivalent of saying, um, oh, well, democracy is shit because of North Korea, because it's called the Democratic Republic. You know what I mean? It's just stupid. It's just, yeah, it, it's the same thing about looking at a, at a political event in another country, country through your own political lens, right? Like the word socialism is a big one in the United States right now because of, you know, the situation there. Uh, and so people are trying to score really cheap political points. Um, you know, by throwing it around. So, it, you know, it, 
I said this to somebody the other day, like the, the situation in Venezuela is really complicated. It's been unfolding for at least 20 years. Um, and, and you can't just like read a couple articles and think that you're up on it. Um, you know, it, it's a really, really complicated situation. You can't just define it with a couple of buzzwords or, or think that you have a grasp of it based on what you saw, you know, on NBC or on Fox News. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really big mess, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, with that being said, um, what do you think is the best way for people to... I guess stay nuanced when reading up on this, you know, rapid fire situation right now in Venezuela. Well, I think, yeah, that's a hard question. There's so much misinformation out there just because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of information and some of it will, will always be misinformation. I think, I think you have to um, do two things. You have to, on the, on the first hand, you have to be aware of your own political baggage. So when you're approaching the situation in Venezuela and you want to learn what's going on, you have to ask yourself, what are the political and personal preconceptions that I'm bringing to this? Like, how do I understand the world before I wade into this conversation? Um, and how might that affect how I read the situation in the country? Um, so that's the first thing I, I would suggest. And the other one is to say, all right, like, let me... Let's let me not rely on what like Telesur or like propaganda outlets will say or like, uh, you know, let 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 me try to sort of think view this through the view through the eyes of an average Venezuelan person. Like when I look at a video and I see like a thousand people protesting, like why are they there? What is it that brought them to the streets that day? Right. So try to understand it from their point of view. And I realize this is going to be difficult for a lot of people who who don't speak Spanish, right? Uh, but but don't fall into the temptation that you've got it all figured out, that you're looking at this from your house in whatever, Brooklyn or, or London, and that you've you've figured it all out and that- Usually Brooklyn. It's usually Brooklyn, <laughs> yeah, but you know, but try not to do that, try not to do that, right? Like like ask yourself, what is my political baggage? How do I understand the world? How, does, how is this tainting or, or distorting the sit what I understand the situation to be? And whenever possible, try to listen to the people of the country who are out there protesting, like why are they out there? Um, 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 you know, if you do those two things, I think, I think you'll you won't fall so easily into those traps of like, oh, they're fascists, or oh, you know, it, it's a it's a U.S. coup, or oh, Maduro's actually a good guy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and certainly for me, like reading your work on the uh, in Venezuela blog has been excellent. Um, can you tell us, you know, where can people uh, get to that, and how can they keep in touch with you? Because I think what you're doing is probably the most detailed in the English language on this whole situation that I've seen, you know, completely. Oh, thanks, man. That, that, yeah, that means a lot. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've had this page for a couple of years now. It, it's sort of now becoming a little bit more popular and it's because of the protests. Um, I'm happy to see that people are, are learning from it and that they're, um, 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 you know, reading it really. Um, so the page is uh, in hyphen Venezuela.com. If you find me on Twitter, I'm uh, at Gian Fiorella, G-I-A-N-F-I-O-R-E-L-L-A. You'll see a link to my Twitter account for my page, and then you can see a link to the to the website there. So what I do is every day I, I comb through the news and I translate them into English, and I try to put them in context as well. So I try to explain like, okay, like what does it mean for this guy to say this? Or what does it mean for a protest to take place here? Um, and... and um, there's a couple of, t of Twitter people who, who are always sort of following the situation as well. So if you, if you find me on Twitter, I try to tweet out the, the sort of the best information that I can find. Okay. And you promise you're not um, a U.S. plant? No, man. I keep telling people, like, if I, I haven't seen a single dime. Like, if the CIA really, you know, is, like, I wish they would send me checks, but I, I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks very much. That was amazing. Great work you're doing, man. And thanks very much for coming back on. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. See you in a bit.
That was Giancarlo Fiorella talking about the possible imminent war, revolution or coup in Venezuela. Who knows what's going to happen? It's not looking very good. Um, and like we said in the episode, things have been moving rapidly. And since we recorded it on Monday, for example, um, the US ambassador of security affairs, uh, John Bolton, he has said some mad stuff, basically kind of sounding like he just wants to go in uh, to Venezuela because, you know, it will work well for business. He had this insane thing where he had um, a little notepad written at some press conference and on it, it said send 5,000 troops to Colombia. Certainly there have uh, been Colombian troops sent to the border of Venezuela now. Um, also, Maduro has uh, started up a new, what he calls a people's protection force, I believe. So basically just giving civilians guns in the barrios and here, there and everywhere and saying that they they have to help the military in case of war so I think it's looking really bad right now um, who knows what's gonna happen but yeah do check out uh, Giancarlo's work his blog in Venezuela blog is very good he's been covering this for a very long time I've been following his work for ages there were a lot of um, spooky fuckers on the internet to be honest like real kind of hardcore communists or um, you know a sad apologists kind of saying that he's this uh, what well, I don't know they're saying he's some kind of like asset for the US government or something uh, and he, he he came out of nowhere absolute dog shit let me tell you i'll be the first to call him out if he was his work has been going around for a very long time he's been doing this for no fucking money um i trust his work completely he's a really good guy uh anyway this week's episode as usual was sponsored by the defensepost.com defense with an s check them out for all your latest up-to-date coverage on uh, war and conflict across the world the episode is also sponsored by atlas news on instagram that's instagram.com slash atlas.news check them out it's a pretty cool way of getting your news via instagram i guess most of it is conflict related in fact i think all of it on there is conflict related so have a look at them and if you like what we're doing at popular front please do consider supporting us on the patreon i've said this a hundred times we will not be having corporate vampirism in the podcast so the only way to keep it going is via the patreon in the Independent support that is patreon.com slash popular fronts even if you think you know what i'll just throw in a dollar a month just to help out it does help out trust me like i said a hundred times we've had uh, nearly two hundred thousand unique downloads on the podcast so you know if even a quarter of those people said you know what i'll throw in one dollar a month we'd be flying we'd be doing the docks and everything things would be good uh, speaking of docks we've got another one coming up soon uh, so go to youtube.com slash popular front subscribe there hit the bell all of that stay notified uh, because there will be a new documentary coming soon it's to do with uh, well it's, it's, it will be in ukraine put it that way I'll, I'll say that much to keep up to date with popular front on twitter follow me that's twitter.com slash jake underscore hanrahan h-a-n-r-a-h-a-n or follow the popular front account that's at popular front co same as the website popularfront.co all the episodes in order are on there ways to donate bitcoin everything that's on there thank you very much to the following people without your help this wouldn't be possible they are adam berg snyder axel iverson chad walker dan dunham daniel shearer darby diana gorvanek emily molly fletcher tate jack mayhoff jacob janowski james from the discord Sebastian from the Discord, Joanne Stocker, Joel Tambusi, Joshua Yabbott, Lawrence Abrahams, LH, Margaret Bowling, Michael Euler, Patrick Bronte, P. 
Peter McCormack from the What Bitcoin Did podcast. He's been a real massive help to Popular Front. Thank you very much. Rosha Alakidi, same massive help uh, as is everyone here. Ryan Sandercock, Scartoon, Scott Jonesy, Sean Fowler, Surushe Hawazi, Teddy, Tom Lochrin, Tony Bin, and Zachary Hinch. Thank you very much. Honestly, if all you lot vanished, Popular Front would vanish. So thanks very much. Uh, music in this episode. The intro is by Home and the outro is by Son of Old. He's my mate. And actually, this beat he made for my birthday. I thought that was pretty cool. It was my birthday last week. So, yeah, cheers, mate. Uh, follow his work at soundcloud.com slash son of old. S-U-N-O-F-O-L-D. Son of Old. <laughs>